Hey there, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. That's a lot of Hawkeye in the title. Um, a special Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. It is Saturday, December the 30th, a little bit before 3 p.m. Central Time. You're uh, you're not going crazy. Thursday was busy this week, so Scott and I have adjusted, called the Audible, made it to Saturday. Um have plenty to talk about today. Scott is in Orlando. I am still here in Iowa City. A balmy 40 degrees here today. So the the walk from my car to Carver today was not too bad. How's the weather down there, Scott? You know, for Orlando, it's it's chilly, I suppose. I mean, it's in the high 50s. Uh, today's a nice day. We had a couple of days ago, it was, it was rainy and like low 50s. And at that point, you're like, rainy and low 50s and, and worse. It's like that. Eh, this isn't good. This is probably my least favorite weather. So uh, that that's, that was actually throughout the practice that we got to watch and then inter- make interviews with. So you know, of course. But uh, no, today's not too bad. Sunny, uh, but it's uh, it's been a chaotic week here, no no doubt. And I've added to the chaos with some late nights and early mornings too. <laughs> too old <laughs> for this stuff. What's a bowl trip without late nights and early mornings? Uh, I'm. Uh, uh, um, you're better than me for being able to go through that, but you've crossed the 50 yard line this year yeah. with your birthday. So, um, more power to you. Um, yeah. plenty of news this week, which we'll get to. Um, we're going to start, let's knock out the basketball first. I don't want to slight the basketball teams. Um, but we, as we've said before, we have a lot of time to talk about basketball this year. Um, we're just getting back into the big 10 season, but, uh, Couple of uh, games this this uh, weekend. Last night, uh, Iowa men uh, slow start, but ended up uh, cruising and going over the century mark again against visiting Northern Illinois in the regular season finale. And then uh, just completed the Iowa women uh, back in Big Ten play, moved to two and zero with a win against Minnesota. We have a new. All-time assist leader in the Big Ten, and she resides here in Iowa City. So for those that say all she does is shoot, uh, that would uh, go against that that argument, Scott. And uh, I'll let you run with this because I think you've been to more games than me today. this year. This was my first women's game. The thing that strikes me about Caitlin is through her career, she's learned kind of tempo and – not getting sped up. And that's what stood out to me today. And just kind of she plays at her pace now, which is faster than everybody else, but not too fast. She doesn't get ahead of herself. She's very much in control, a lot more in control than she was earlier in her career. She just has the game figured out at this level. And it's not much of a challenge for her anymore. No, it isn't. It's been great to see here because as you said, I think that's great, very observant, Rob, that the pace, um, they play at a fast tempo anyway, and they want to get up and down the court. There are, isn't a team in the country that can slow them when they're in transition, that they are the best in the country at that. And she's the best passer, period. And, you know, in basketball, I would concede any level of basketball. And, but, 
you know, she shoots some logo threes, but it's not necessarily the quick shot variety in transition. I mean, sometimes she, she dribbles and then she pulls up and she hits a three, but she's got always got the green light and she knows which buttons to push at the right time. She's going to miss some shots from time to time, but she's, she's got a different edge to her. She's just, I think she, her game is maturing as we speak every single night. It seems to be getting better in certain areas. And, um, and yeah, it runs counter to all the, the haters out there, you know, who talk about her being a ball hog and everything. Well, she's given, she has given up more points to her teammates than any other player in Big Ten history. So she's a, quite the distributor. Yeah, and her defense has gotten better. She just, some of her turnovers too, Scott, are when her passes are so sharp that her teammates sometimes aren't prepared for them. And so that, I, you kind of factor that in as well. She's a better rebounder than she was before. Um, and I really, what I saw today, um, again, my first time live, the improvement that Hannah Stokey's made just in getting herself to a position where Caitlin can find her. She gets really good position down low. She runs the floor really well. This is just a really well-rounded team. And it's going to be interesting to see because they're going to get everybody's best shot. Today against Minnesota, Minnesota never had a chance to give its best shot. Iowa was ready from the jump, jumped on them, got a double-digit lead, and Minnesota just never really felt like they were in the game. At the sports bar that I was just at, Rob, and, and part of it was working with a colleague on a breakdown between Iowa and Tennessee. And then we also had, you know, the Ole Miss uh, Penn State game. And then soon after the Iowa game popped up on and, and that, that kind of took over the sports bar because there were more Iowa fans in there than anything else. And um, it was like 16 to four. You know, and then I was like, okay, this game's already over. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's at home. It's, you know, it's against Minnesota. Minnesota really doesn't play Iowa well. It hasn't for a long, long time. And, and, uh, in Iowa in transition when they, and it looked like, okay, this is peak Iowa form, at least in transition. And as you said with Hannah Stokey, um, she runs the floor like, like a tight end and, you know, like a, tremendous tight end, like a Noah Fant type tight end. And when you have a passer like Patrick Mahomes and a tight end like that, you are uh, lethal in that part of the, your game. And and so I really like that. I think her post game is coming along um, because she's, you know, the, the difference was between years past and now, you know, without Monica Zanano, they don't have a replacement for her. But, you know, McKenna Warnock was more of your uh, stretch four, you know, could play underneath, but also can hit the three. Hannah's not quite like that. She's more of a traditional power forward. So she's kind of molding in both roles while they play more of a, you know, three to four guard set. And uh, But I think her game is coming along to where she may be one of the 10 best players in the Big Ten, you know, by the end of this year. Yeah, no doubt. I want to give, before we move on to the men's real quick, um, shout out to Gabby Marshall and Kate Martin. They, I think Gabby had probably more of the assignment on Braun today. She Braun came into the game having scored, I think, 25 in three straight games. She was averaging 20. I don't know what she finished with, but she had six points at halftime. Just, And that's what this team, 
With the men, and we can transition to this in a second, Scott, there are a bunch of guys still trying to figure out their roles. There's no there there is a, the women had that a little bit this year. To, you know, who's going to replace, as you said, uh Warnock, Sonano, those are big people the pieces to replace, but they've figured it out already. They they understand who needs to do what. All felt all felter is really good off the bench. They figured out who they are and what their roles are. And they carry them out to a T. Yeah, yeah. They they seem to know what they're supposed to do. And I, I, Affalter might end up being, to me, kind of that glue MVP. Because she, she's gone from being kind of the wing, do-it-all wing, to now being able to be in the post. And she plays post a lot. You know, plays four, gets in and rebounds. She's tough. She's aggressive. She does all the things they need her to do. The junkyard dog on the team, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, another player that I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch much of it today. I was just kind of walk, glancing up here and there. But, but you know, I think Kylie Fierbach is going to be a really important player for her because, you know, Gabby Marshall is the best on-ball defender that they have, but she might be second in that. And, uh, you know, and Caitlin, of course, is probably more talented than either one of them. But, you know, you, you know your stars have to preserve themselves a little bit for offense. And it, but she plays uh, – Kylie plays hard on both ends of the floor. She can do a lot. She's a really good passer. She's a good shooter. She's also a really aggressive, good defender, and she can drive. And we just haven't seen a lot of that in her game over the years simply because, you know, she's she got hurt last year. And, you know, the year before she was just kind of in that rotation. And, and I think she's going to be somebody that probably will need to get more minutes, especially when they get in the Big Ten, because you're going to need those kind of effective players to play 15 to 20 minutes a game that I think she's capable of doing. Yeah, no doubt. Molly Davis played well, too. You go down the list, there's just so many contributors on this team that, it, you know, teams that want to try to take Caitlin away with doubles and triples and stuff like that, you're going to get burned with the other players on this squad. For the men, Scott, um, I, I'm starting – and we'll see with Big Ten. Obviously, the trip to Madison this this next week is going to be a bear. They don't, it's a tough place to play. Iowa traditionally hasn't played well up there at the Kohl Center. But this stretch here that they got after Iowa State, the games were easier, but I think they've kind of figured some things out. I think they figured out kind of where they need to go. They're running the offense out between, you know, they're they're using Freeman and Cricky inside and kind of running inside out now a little bit more. And those two guys are a handful inside. They they complement each other well. I like how Cricky can go up to the high post and dump it into Owen. Owen's getting better each game. I think there's a chance here. It's going to be tough sledding in the Big Ten. It just is. They had a lot to replace after last year. But I'm encouraged by what we saw the second half of this month. And time will tell if they're able to put it into practice as they get back into the Big Ten, because tough games every night. Yeah. I mean, it's good that they've played these types of teams after that three game stretch where they got blown out at Purdue at Iowa state and then at home against uh, Michigan because they were going to need some sort of confidence boost and also just kind of go back to square one on some things, figure out how they're going to work together. And, and you can't do that if they would have just, okay, big 10 season starts. It's just not going to happen with a team like this. So I think they, they did a nice job here of, of really, you know, 
I think Owen Freeman starting the game is important because they don't, they didn't traditionally have size. It's okay if you have like a, a Luca Garza, you know, who plays more of an offensive post and less on a defensive side. But I think with these guys that they can really attack and Cricky has shown he's able to score from anywhere inside, you know, close to the bucket. And, and Freeman's a bowl of energy that you just really need to keep on the floor. And then it takes less pressure off the wings. And, you know, Peyton Sanford is very talented, of course, from shooting from the perimeter, but, you know, he can also be streaky and that can hurt him. And then, you know, then, you know, Perkins has been in and out or, you know, the lineup has played mostly, but still, his offensive skills kind of range from good to okay. There's, there, they've had some issues with consistency on the perimeter. And I think if they can really refocus and run the football, <laughs> get it to the post basically, and then dabble in more of the perimeter game, that'll be much more effective. And, you know, I think this team is talented enough to pull off some upsets, but I also think this is going to be kind of a tough year for them. Yeah, you're right, Scott. It's the consistency, right? It's, you know, with teams that are with everybody's in a new role this year. I don't think anybody's in the same role they were in last year. Half of those 10 person player rotation is new to the program. So there were going to be some growing pains. But the key is, can you find that consistency as you go on in the season? And maybe they can. Fran's doing some different things. He's playing Harding and Bowen together at times, which I like. It gives that second unit a little bit of um, speed on the perimeter, penetrating ability, the ability to break down defenders off the dribble. Both guys, especially Bowen, are pretty good on-ball defenders, so that helps you on both ends. So he's doing some different things, and, you know, he's going to – I think – I'd like to know what you think about it. I think he's going to have to – it's going to be a night-to-night thing that where you have to kind of go with the hot hand, which guys are playing well on a given night, which guys have the best matchups on a given night. I think this seems like that kind of team where he's going to have to push the right buttons almost every night. Yeah, it, it's similar, not the same, but similar to what he faced, you know, roughly 10 years ago when he had a really deep team. and. The effectiveness, even though the skill sets were different, the effectiveness was similar. You know, maybe you one player would score six or eight points, the next player would score six or eight points, but that could very well have been a backup, you know, post versus a backup forward. But you know, so you're getting the same amount of production, just different positions. And I think you're going to see a little bit of that, especially in the backcourt, uh, because of. Josh Dix and Tony Perkins and Peyton Sanford and Price Sanford and Brock Harding and DeSante Bowen. And, you know, even though their games are all different, but the production may end up being the same, what they're going to need is they're going to need their veterans and uh, to really take a leadership role on the floor. It doesn't have to be vocal, just scoring, you know, just being more visible. You know, I, I think, you know, Patrick McCaffrey, you know, being, more aggressive, frankly, you know, two rebounds in 20 minutes, you know, one assist and that's it. You know, you really needs to, you know, he scored nine points, but you want him to be more aggressive in certain situations. I think they're going to need that for him uh, from him for the rest of the team, but he's capable of doing it. And I think Ben Cricky has really kind of been the MVP thus far Um, coming in from Valpo, been a consistent 
15 to 20 point guy every single night, consistent number of rebounds. Yeah, his defense could be a little bit better and we'll really know the answer to that come the next few weeks. But overall, you know, from a scoring standpoint, he's been the, the automatic guy. They just need to get more of them. You know, at least I always think in basketball, you need three scorers in a game. You know, somebody usually in the post or the paint and somebody, you know, on the wing and then somebody else who can maybe combination of wing and, and drive. And, um, and I think that's really what's going to be the key for them to be able to stay with some of these teams, let alone win some of these games. Yeah, no doubt. Six guys in double figures last night. That's the balance this team's probably going to need. And as Scott said, Patrick had nine, so almost the seventh guy in double figures. And Cricky showed last night, and he's starting to show now that Freeman's getting, and they're playing together. He hit a three last night. He's starting to stretch his stretch the floor a little bit more. So interested to see how that develops, That that uh, the chemistry between those two big guys. So... We'll see that again, as I said, this week. I believe it's – is it Tuesday they, they go to Madison? Tuesday or Wednesday this week they go to Madison. <laughs> Look at the schedule, HawkeyeSports.com. They have schedules on there. Uh, my focus is strictly uh, on Monday now that I'm uh, back from Carver today. Uh, um, Scott, how do you pronounce the tech, the uh, Tennessee quarterback's name? I wrote it down, and I now I need to find it. Uh, <laughs> e uh, ma, la, Lavia. Leah. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Let me, <laughs> I have it written down somewhere because, <laughs> uh, you know, I've had to struggle with that, but, um, but let's, let's give a little lesson to him just and you know, everybody heard about like, I think he was like the $8 million man. I don't know if it's that much money officially, but 8 million bucks to um, with a collective to go to Tennessee. He was a five-star Excuse me. They got deep pockets <laughs> at Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. also took, uh, I say took, but won a battle against Iowa basketball as well yeah. by doling out yeah. some money. So they're, they got deep pockets in that part of the country. They do. And for their sports, especially. And, yes. and so, um, but this has energized their fan base. As you can imagine, it would Iowa's if, if they said, Oh, Marco's going to start. People think, oh, really? Okay, this sounds cool. You know, except for them, it's a five star. <laughs> you know, it's the guy that they got in the portal that they wanted to see. So it's like the combination of imagine Xavier Wampa was the quarterback, and oh, he finally he's got a start. And then, so they are very excited for him. And it, but on the field, I think it could be a challenge for him because he's very talented. Yes. But going against this defense that's very experienced, that's uh you know, if he can if he can solve Iowa's defense and pull out a win and play well in it, uh then I think uh you know, watch out SEC. He's gonna be he's gonna be a lead. Yeah, he probably would like to have the, his top two running backs as well to be yeah. able to like get a you know, to establish they may still be able to do it. The guy that who is it Scott, the guy that's back? I can't remember their yeah. names. Um but the whoever they have, their third string guy or their third leading rusher, I guess, leads them in touchdowns with seven, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah, so Dylan he, Sampson. Yeah. Sampson. Yeah. He'll be the one that most likely gets the bulk. But they're if they can't run the ball um at all against Iowa, and I know this kid is is a you know, has ability to hurt you with his legs too, the quarterback. Um 
they're, they're going to, he's going to have a tough time against Iowa's defense. If he, if they can't get any, if they can't establish any running game. Yeah. And I have the, I, I wrote it out, I even sounded it out. Ia Malayava. Ia Malavia. Ia Malavia. Malava. Ia Malava. Ia Malava. So yeah, uh, he's, he's pretty good. Nico is what we're that. calling him. We, but there already is a Nico. And we yeah. didn't learn his name until last year when Chad that's did the right. story on him. Yeah, so that's the same deal, except we, we could repronounce Nico Ragaini's name. I know this one yes. is going to take some practice, although yeah, I can just imagine like next year he'll be like a Heisman favorite or something, you know, by midseason. Uh, yeah, the, the, the trouble for them is going to be how do they – they like to play at a high pace. And can they be patient enough against Iowa's defense to take what Iowa's defense gives you, which is, um, you know, there's usually one slot of the field that's open, you know, because they continue to rush for, they'll play their zones. Sometimes there's that one area that's open, but it's, it's usually somebody in the flat. Will they be able to get it and then take the five yards? Then second and five, will they be able to run it for a first down or make it third and one and manageable and be able to mount that kind of a drive against Iowa? I don't know because this is the problem with up-tempo offenses is they get impatient very quickly, that they start to want to go deep. They want to go hard. They want to go fast. And Iowa will make you play at their pace. And in a you got a young quarterback who's getting confused or sees something that isn't there or um, just figures, you know what, I'm going to throw it there. I don't care. I'm going to throw this ball. That's where Iowa is devastating. I mean, I, I mean, probably the one game that, that crystallizes it most for me was the Maryland game a couple of years ago out there. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Talia Tagaviola was, uh, you know, had like 10 touchdowns and no interceptions and they're four and oh, and then Iowa picked them off five times, you know, and and just it, it's got that kind of capability, you know. But you know, if if he's a, if he's a five star that plays like a five star, sure he can give Iowa problems, no question. Well, I don't know if you caught it today, but Jim Harbaugh said Jesus was a five star. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know I, what? I'm stars are overrated, though. That's what we hear, <laughs> right? Stars yeah. don't matter. Well, my our guy at our place, Ari Wasserman, has his saying "stars matter," and so they get all the way. But yeah, yeah, Jesus would have, you know, I mean, <laughs> would would Kirk have recruited Jesus? <laughs> no, five star. He would have went to Alabama or Georgia or yeah. something like that. He can but, go uh, everywhere though. <laughs> yes, he goes everywhere. Water out of wine. I think you could throw a touchdown pass. <laughs> he walks on water, man. Um. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, and, and to your point, um, Tennessee, if if Tennessee can get a score too quickly, then that works in their favor. And we saw what Michigan did in the Big Ten championship game. As you said, that flat area or just beyond that flat area on um, the right side of the field, McCarthy knew where it was and he kept picking them apart on that side. If this kid does that and can move them down the field and get scores early, then we obviously know that Iowa's offense is at a disadvantage. Um, even though Tennessee's lost some key defensive guys too, man, they they're down some key defensive players. So be interesting to see what they come up with from an offensive standpoint, Scott. Um, and we'll get into the Brian Ferentz thing in a second here, but what Iowa's 
I we know what Iowa's game plan is going to be. We've seen it all season. You just wonder if there's anything to loosen up Tennessee at all with that Iowa does from an offensive standpoint. If this team could run zone read, it's the perfect team to run it against because what you fear most about Tennessee, I mean, their secondary is very green. I mean, they've lost, what, six players to the portal, mm-hmm. three starters in the secondary. Uh, um, so normally you would say, hey, you can take advantage of that in the pass game. And But I think as much as anything, you can in the run game too because a lot of them are safeties trying to come downhill, and if they don't, don't read their keys correctly, or if they're a little bit hesitant, you can really blow them up. The, but what would really work is, especially because they haven't shown it on film, is some sort of zone read element because they do have probably the best pass rusher they've seen this year in James Pierce Jr., uh, just a tremendous player uh, for Tennessee. And number 27, he's an NFL guy. You know, kind of a Javon Curse type, maybe Will McDonald type, you know, just really a, a smooth, fast, quick off the edge that, uh, you know, first team all SEC defensive end as a sophomore. So Iowa is going to have to prepare for that. And they cannot be arrogant in protection and think, well, our guy needs to block his, that guy. You, you got to be careful about that yeah. because I've seen that backfire on him. So, but. I, we know Iowa likes to run the football and establish itself in physical fashion. I think it's capable of doing that, but it's going to have to provide some some sort of other elements, which to me, you know, Deacon Kill is not a zone read guy, but play action might work, especially against a secondary that is pretty inexperienced right now with all the opt-outs and the, or the actually hit transfer portal. I would like for this to be Caleb Brown's statement game going into next year. I think he's the guy you got to get the ball to. He's got SEC type natural ability. Get him the ball in space. When Iowa's done that this year, it's been it's been good. He did it, he tore Illinois up with it. Yeah. I think that I think you know we haven't seen enough of it, but I'd like to see one of the younger receivers at least get some action out on the field you know because this game doesn't count anyway and none of them are on the doorstep losing their eligibility for the as a red shirt but you know whether it's Dayton Howard or Jarrett Bowie or somebody like that to be able to get some snaps because they have length and Iowa doesn't really have length at that position and they have some athletic ability that maybe they can maybe they can just run routes and maybe get one ball thrown their way but but you know they're going to need something for next year no nico ragaini i mean i'm sorry well not next year you won't have him but no deontay vines you know he's in the portal and uh you know you have caleb brown who's you know a good i think slot receiver body i think he can play i think he's a z probably more naturally you know once he kind of really shifts from running back to receiver but you know and seth anderson is a good player too but I, I really think they need to get a big body out there and, and being able to, to go toe to toe with these guys and they're young guys. So, uh, but not having Deontay Vines, I'd like to see play action, throw slant, you know, big body first down. You know, I think they're capable of that. If Deacon can at least get the ball on target. Have you heard anything from maybe some of the veterans on some of the young receivers? Anybody, because as we've talked about on the podcast, this month is big for, you know, development in terms of the younger guys looking towards the future. Any insight into anybody who may have popped this month? 
not as much on the receiver front. Now, I did talk to Nico Raggini about Marco, and he was very complimentary of Marco and said that, uh, you know, the one thing that separates him is he can legit run. He goes, he runs like a running back. And he's, you know, that's a, something I'll, I'll be excited to see when he's in this offense, you know, meaning in the, in the future. But, of course, we'd all rather have it be Monday. But, <laughs> but you know, he, he was running, you know, with the twos, you know, and he moved in that direction. You know, Brian poo-pooed any opportunity for him to be a player. Oh, Deacon's our starter, and that's it. And, uh, but I think uh, he's got the potential to me, if he can throw with authority, to be the number two coming out of spring. I think, you know, behind Cade, uh, who's down here and he was in bumper cars. And so, so I was kind of so like, don't, don't bump, so don't bump your knee. <laughs> yeah. Don't bump your knee. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, so I haven't heard much out of there. I mean, some of the other players that had, you know, we heard flashed about, you know, the, the offensive linemen talk of Cade Peeper or Piper, um, quite Cade a bit. Nebraska. Yeah, North as a guard. Nebraska. Yeah, he's he might be a find because I know he, you know, here he was. He was going to go to North Dakota State, you know, and play defense. Iowa flips him over to play offense. He's bulked up. He's now a guy that they feel like is a, is going to be a depth chart guy at minimum next year. Um, he was one. Uh, I'm saying Khalil Tate was one that they felt like on defense has really taken a step forward. John Nestor is another one, you know, who's now in the depth chart um, is, is uh, another one that has um, trying to think. Um, Oh, this, this is kind of goes to the Iowa philosophy. Nolan DeLong um, at linebacker. They really like him too. So I think this is a, it's, it is fascinating, you know, when you get into this spring t- or this period, because the players, you know, even like in, in one other one or two of the practices, once the first teamers were done, they left the field and then they, they had the, you know, the second team and, and third teams continue to stay in practice. Nolan DeLong, pride of Durant, saw him play mm-hmm. against West Branch last year. He was another guy that was headed yeah. to one of the FCS teams, one of the South Dakota, South Dakota State, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah. He, he had offers yeah. from pretty much all of the really good FCS teams in our footprint here. And uh, they got it. They're doing, they're doing well on the recruiting trail in, in terms of walk ons this year, too, in terms of getting guys that, um, you know, had opportunities to get scholarships at other schools and they're getting them to walk on here. So that's, uh, those are all guys to keep an eye on and guys that it's good to hear about. Um, what do you, have you gotten any, you know, sense from Tennessee what they're, cause we talk about this all the time, Scott, what, how much is the team invested? You know, what, what, you know, how, how much do they want to be there? Um, I, I would be shocked if Iowa came out flat. Um, yeah. and not ready to play. Iowa wants to win this game. The 11th victory, I know you can speak to this because I think you wrote about this as well. But how invested is Tennessee, do you think? You know, I, you know. obviously we go to the Iowa practices and stuff, but we've had some feedback with Tennessee. Um, a press conference yesterday with the offensive and defensive coordinators, the uh, a couple of the players there, they seem like they are. they do care, that it's not just a, Eh, we're here. Let's go on. And, and part of it is location. I mean, as 
you remember in the 90s, Steve Spurrier once said, you can't spell citrus without UT because they used to go all the time. You know, every year they were coming to the Citrus Bowl because they were always second. But uh, they haven't been here since like 02 season. So wow. it's been a long time. So the thought of yeah. So the thought of going to Orlando was, was pretty cool for them. And coming back to this bowl game, they're gonna wear their home. I was gonna wear white. Um so and I and I know for the fan base, especially that having Nico <laughs> as a root you know, starting in the game has changed that dynamic because they were they were a little flat as a fan base. You know, going into it with uh, Joe Milton, you know, probably they think of him similarly to I think Iowa fans probably think of Nate Stanley at the time. Now they probably think more fondly of him, hopefully. But, you know, uh, just kind of like, yeah, all right, you know. (laughs) But instead, um, you know, they they are now super energized. So I'd imagine that Tennessee will have more of the crowd here, although I've seen some pretty good numbers of Iowa fans out and about. Yeah, I remember being impressed with Tennessee's uh, representation at the Gator Bowl when uh, that was not a good memory for Iowa, yeah. <laughs> the 2014 yeah. season. Um, and I just I remember showing up to the stadium and just seeing this just orange trying to get into. They do that. They, they do some type of stadium like entry type. They have got some tradition where they stand out there and welcome the team in. But whatever. Um, shift to the Brian Ferentz story. Um, how surprised were you guys when, when you saw him show up there and, uh, just kind of give us a little, uh, on the ground, um, vibe of what it was like with him up there. It was probably like Madison Square Garden in 1970 when Willis Reed walked out (laughs) and you're like, whoa, um, we had no idea. And in fact, nobody had any idea until late the day before. Um, and that's when it got kind of discussed that Brian wants to go ahead and talk. And everybody's like, really? He does? Well, you know, good. You know, they're happy about that. But like, you know, Matt White's will bless his soul. Is He was just like, I wasn't going to say anything until I knew for sure he was here, yeah. you know, because I just wanted to make sure. And, and I, that makes sense. But when he walked in, it was kind of like, Oh my God, Brian's here. He's going to talk. Um, okay. And I'm immediately pivoting from every single question I was going to try to ask, uh, <laughs> Abdul Hodge, you know, to, okay, I got to think on the, on my feet here a little bit and try to get something decent or a couple of decent questions here for BF. And, you know, was it as good as it could be? No, because if we would have known, you know, we would have <laughs> had better ones, but I think overall it was a, it was an interesting, 20 minutes. I mean, it was big, it was longer than the rest. And, uh, you know, he answered most of the questions, I think fairly well. And I think he got asked some pretty strong questions, but, um, you know, he didn't really say anything that, that was outlandish. The only thing he kind of said that stood out to me was, you know, he kind of resented that he became the story and not the players. You know, he felt like the players, you know, done all this, you know, they won 10 games and he kind of sucked up the oxygen, but you know, you know, there 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 are ways they could have shipped that around. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, 
his offense wasn't good the last two years. So that was already the narrative. It was the narrative going into basically the 22 season. And then Mm -hmm. you had the, you know, drive for 325. And I mean, people talked about it because it was put out there like that too. So I get it and I understand what he's saying. And you always want the focus to be on the student athletes, the majority of the focus to be on them. But it was just the nature of this story um, you know, that he was a focal point and, mm-hmm. uh, Monday will mark the end of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, he didn't, he stayed away from kind of, uh, you know, he didn't do any blaming or anything. He was asked, you know, about what, what he thought of, um, you know, what was the process like going through it and everything. And he's like, you can ask Beth that, um, and uh, that's fair. And, uh, you know, just trying to keep the focus off himself. But in turn, it was kind of funny. You know, he, I think he wanted to answer football questions, but this is the first time you've talked since all this yeah. has happened. You know, it's it's kind of a <laughs> – it surprised us, but we're not going to just come out and say, oh, yeah, what do you guys want to do against Tennessee's defense? I mean, there's there was a lot to answer to, and, and he did a nice job of it. I think there was a couple areas that I would – I think he could have done more, but – there again, I'm glad he said something. So that's not just going to be kind of lingering out there in the ether and never, never, we're never going to get a chance to have it happen. Maybe someday down the road, Scott, he'll share his real feelings of how this stuff went down, um, you know, publicly um, or continue to take the high road. I'm not sure which we'll find yeah. out, but um, the, <laughs> but in, in the the Ferentz fashion, I'll call it, um, of focusing on the task at hand and not looking as much to the future as other programs may do in this situation, they're doubling down on Deacon. And again, as we've said along said all along, I have a, a a huge amount of admiration for what Deacon Hill has done this year. He wasn't supposed to be in this position. He was coming in here to get developed and work behind Cade McNamara. He was thrown into the fire and he's handled himself super well. And as we mentioned, if you saw the tears in the kid's eyes after the big 10 championship game, you know how much it means to him and how much he's trying to do the best that he can. Having said that, to just come out and say there's no way and and if i'm if i'm misstating this scott it sounded to me from you know however many miles away i am and and reading what you guys are doing down there that it didn't sound like there was any um I, th- there's no op, no you know there's no thought of even putting marco in if things aren't going well yeah that's where they're at that it's just it's simply uh, it's Deacon's team. He's gonna. They're gonna ride with Deacon, and you know, again, that's that's been something that they've done for years, uh, for the whole ten year, practically. You know, outside of maybe one, one or two instances, and it's just, I don't know, you know, or James Vandenberg in two thousand twelve, right? Yeah, he played every snap, every snap, every snap of that season for four and eighteen. And you had Joe, uh, you had Jake Rudock, who is a you know a redshirt freshman, and you you could have thrown him out there, got him some snaps when they were getting beat by Michigan, forty eight to seventeen, you know things like that, and uh, and here we are again with you know why why wouldn't you allow 
your red shirt, your, your true freshman, I'm sorry, to get some sort of stamps, a package here. You know, maybe, maybe they are and he's lying, you know. Uh, but last year, they, you know, they allowed that with Sam Laporta. And he had a package of for one series and stuff, but you know, who, who knows, but yeah, it's kind of disappointing because, you know, Deacon has done a good job. I think in every situation he's been asked to do that he can handle, but you know, I, I would hate for him to be three of 14 with three sacks, you know, and at halftime it's 14 to three, they're losing without Iowa turning the page or at least considering it that, you know, we're just going to do what we do. You know, that's, that's, you know, you're not going to break that brick wall with your head, you know, (laughs) (laughs) got to go around it once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. You talk, you talked about you, you feel like Iowa has an opportunity to run the football here, which would help whoever's playing quarterback, obviously in this offense sets them up for success. You mentioned it earlier, but just kind of restate what what are you seeing from Tennessee or from Iowa in terms of offensive line play that you feel like Iowa might be able to establish the run? Because you know Tennessee is going to load up and and if if they're smart and try to take that away. What I see is you know they're they're kind of light a little bit on the perimeter, and you know Jennings Dunker will be back, and he's incredibly physical as is, you know, and Mason Richmond and, and Logan Jones are kind of healthier than they were before. Let's see what happens at the end, you know, after the season. But, but um, you know, having those safeties out, it really, you know, good safeties fill gaps. Right. And they, they keep plays down, you know, uh, a potential game breaker. They, they stop it in the gap for a three-yard run. Um you might have a little bit more hesitation in that area. You might have them out of place. And as we know, I was pretty good about knowing where to be in the block and when they're blocking in in the run game. And you have some physical running backs, LaShawn Williams, especially, but you know, Jazz Patterson has a nice burst and, you know, and, uh, and, and Caleb Johnson, when he gets going, is it's really hard to stop. So I do think that, you know, they, they are generally a pretty good uh, run defense, but when they give up, um, they can give up some yards in that regard. And, uh, you know, let me kind of get get to that number here. Hit them with uh, the counters, Scott. Yeah. Hit and them then, with some counters. Right. And then the other the other flip side of this is when, they, um, when, they're, when they're held under 100 yards, they're 0 for 4. You know, they've lost all four of their games they've lost. They've been held under 100 yards rushing. And without Jalen Watson there, you know, that's something that Iowa could do on the other side of the ball force them to pass and get them in advantageous situations for Iowa to force them to make mistakes and beat you. You know, and Iowa is by far the best team in the country in not giving up big plays. I mean, they've given up 18 passes of 20 plus yards, which is 11 fewer than number two in the country. So um, they're going to let, you know, they're going to let you catch it and they're going to tackle you and tackle you hard. But, but so I think, the run game is going to set the tempo for this. Can Iowa establish it? And it has a possibility of, of doing that, at least to an extent. Defensively, it should be able to, to kind of counter that as well. Um, and then if you can get them in repeated passing situations and, and be able to pass on Iowa's side when you want to, not when you have to, then I think that they are got the opportunity to move the football. 
Some news you guys got this week, Scott. Actually, uh, Iowa uh, is is breaking its own news these days with uh, Jay Higgins deciding to come back for another season, as well as Luke Lachey. It's kind of the what was kind of the um, the feeling down there about those decisions. And I know uh, you guys got a char- chance to talk to Luke last night. What uh, mm-hmm. what were some of his reasons for coming back? Well, Luke is great. And, you know, we've dealt with him for a little while and he's always been just very generous with his time and, and his discussion. He's, he's very mature. And I talked to him at length after the interview, you know, just kind of uh, off to the side about just all kinds of things. But in his case, he saw it as a chance to get better. And I, you know, he wouldn't necessarily elaborate on this, but so I'll kind of add my own opinions. And that is he's, probably he'd probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of a third or fourth round pick this year. And again, it's more of a projection pick like, okay, he's, you know, he's done, had good work. We think he'll be a good player, but he didn't do much. He he said flat out, he wants to leave a legacy. He wants to, to do all the things, <laughs> be the all American, be the Mackey award winner, lead the team, you know, to a championship game and be on the field for it and all of that stuff. And, and, and it speaks to his character that he's remained a captain throughout the whole season. He's voted every week, despite not being able to play, you know, he was working out the other day and he was somewhat close to be able to come back, but you know, it it made no sense. Of course, I thought, uh, I thought it was malpractice if they would have thrown him out there in this game, unless unless it's a playoff game, then I think sometimes you kind of do things like that, but uh, but he, he he said he loves his teammates. And he, but you know, another thing that stuck with him is, you know, he had he has some pretty good mentors, starting with his dad, Jim Lachey, who's you know uh, an analyst for Ohio State football. But you know, he was an All American with Ohio State. He was a three time All Pro with the Washington Redskins and uh, San Diego Chargers uh, back then. And, and one of the things his dad told him was. Um, that if he could go back and play one more game in his life, he would have done it as an Ohio State Buckeye, you know, not as an NFL player. And that kind of resonated with him as he wanted to go back with his guys and play. And he also talked to Sam Laporta for a long time, who's kind of like been a big brother to him. And, um, and Sam and had more a decision he, to make after, yeah. after his junior season as well. Right. And I think you know, it helped Sam. Uh, it certainly did. You know, I think Sam was probably a fifth rounder and he got to be a high, very high second rounder. And then of course, Sam coming back and playing in that bowl game and kicking ass the way he did was really impressive. So, you know, he got a lot of feedback and, and I think, you know, just looking at it from the, what could happen for him. And I think he's capable of winning the Mackey award. I think he's capable of being a first team all American tight end. I think he's capable of a first round NFL tight end. You know, he, he's got, you know, I mean, he had 10 catches in two games and he looked to me, he looked the part. I'm like, okay, this guy's taking that next step. If he can do that next year, you know, he, he's to me, he's already based on the way he, he was playing those first couple of games. He already looked more polished than most of his predecessors were in their final season at Iowa. Maybe Laporta was a little bit more polished than, than Hawkinson Fant and Kittle and stuff, but I think he's got a chance to really take that next step and go, wow, he is six, six, he's athletic, he's big and physical and he can catch and uh, really stretch the field. So I think he could put himself in a position where he's a top 20 pick and get all the awards. And, 
and you know rather than you know be a third round guy but you you look at the money difference it's you know it's a 20 million dollar decision effectively and nil helps yeah you know certainly does and uh it uh i know brad heinrich from the swarm he's Mm -hmm. involved in you know talking to these guys and I don't. I don't sense that anybody's being pressured here. They're allowed to make the decisions that's best for them. We got Jay's decision as well. Has he talked about what? What, yeah. uh, what did he say in terms of what uh, what he weighed and how he landed on coming back? Yeah, he thought that he had a lot more to do. That he had a lot more to improve on. And and at first blush, you kind of question that because it looked really good to me. I mean, 155 tackles. But I think there are some areas that he can probably improve on. And you talked a little bit about it, but mostly, um, you know, it, sometimes it can be tough in the NFL. You know, if you're in his case, maybe he didn't really talk to what his grade was. They did receive feedback, but it could have been lower draft. And if you get in that position, then you're vulnerable in camp or vulnerable to yeah. get cut. And, and whereas at Iowa now with NIL and, you know, he's getting paid. Um, that you can go back and, you know, hell, he can be a unanimous first-team All-American and do all the things from that position. And and I think, you know, and this is where I think with these guys and his career also because he's so loquacious and he's so incredible to deal with that if he takes that next step, not only as a player, but continues to be in front of the camera and everything, when football's over with, he can have a, a incredible life career in the state of Iowa because, you know, we've seen it before with basketball players, you know, being pharmaceutical reps or dental reps. He can do all of those things. Um, he's smart and, you know, he'll, he'll coach football probably, but so, you know, but he felt like he needed to make improvements to his game and being around Phil and being around Seth would, they would help him grow as a defender one a little bit more. Yeah, Luke and Jay, both captains this season, coming back next year. Cade was a captain. He's coming back. A lot of leadership coming back next year, which will be really important as we go into the new Big Ten and expansion (laughs) and all that stuff. Any feel for these other guys, Scott? I know Sebastian and Quinn talked about it this week. Sure, the other guys have. You get a uh, uh, Nick Jackson found mm-hmm. surprised by getting that extra year, getting that waiver. Any feel for this other group? Yeah, out of those four that you mentioned, and then you got to throw Cooper DeGene in it too. Um, I would, I would lean towards Jamari Harris and Sebastian Castro probably coming back. Um, and this is just my feel based on you know they didn't tell me. Um, but I'd lean on those two. Quinn is a little bit more of a question mark, but I could, so I'm not, I'm more on the 50 50 line with him and Nick Jackson. Uh, I think with Nick, it's like, okay, I've got an opportunity here. Now, now what do I do? And I think he's still a little bit more in decision making process. And, uh, and, and for him, you know, versus Jay, I think Jay might have been a draft pick. I'm not so sure Nick would have been. And, you know, maybe he would, but now he's got an opportunity probably to make money through NIL. And then also, um, you know, and that, that could be more of a money guarantee. If you're an unsigned free agent, they'll say, say okay, here's yeah. a $10,000 signing bonus. You go to camp, you get cut, you get basically a jersey and $10,000, and then you subtract your, 
uh, bonus uh, for taxes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's more like $5,000 in a Jersey with your name on it. But, so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if all four or three out of those four come back. Cooper, eh, I don't think he's coming back, but I could be wrong. You know, he seemed to be having fun down there. He was playing golf and, you know, at top feels, golf class. Feels like he's in the Hawkinson position. Yeah. Where he'd like, love to come back, but do you, do you turn your back on being a first round NFL pick? You just can't. You know, it's, I know you love college and all. I mean, you know, Sheriff was probably the one that, came back that you're like, wow, really? You know, because he w- probably still would have been a first rounder, but he might've been like a late first rounder. And then he came back and went number five overall. And Cooper did, did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gallup, that's true. Both of those guys, you know, but with uh, Cooper, can he go from being 18 overall to four? I don't think so. Uh, just like, you know, Hawkinson, I didn't, I thought top 10 was possible, you know, and actually had him in the right spot, but, you know, that you just can't turn that down. It, it's a heart versus head decision. And I, I think he'd be gone. But so if I was to put odds, I think Castro and Harris are back. I think those are the priority anyway, based on how they played and where they play. I would say Jackson and Schulte are kind of in that. I don't, I can't I have a great feel for it. And I'd say Cooper's probably not coming back. And Eric All's done, do you think? Yeah, I have not heard one word about him coming back. In fact, I haven't seen him down here. And I, he might be, and I just didn't, I just missed him. But um, yeah, I'm, that's the one that, and I think now with Lachey, it, you know, it's it's kind of like, I think he's ready to try to take that next step. What, uh, have you guys gotten any, because I don't think Cade's talked since his injury, has he? Has Have you guys gotten anything from him down there other than watching him run into the little kids in the bumper cars? <laughs> no, no, I haven't said. I, we haven't talked to him. And I, he was one that I, we would have liked to have grabbed while we're down here. But, um, you know, I, I was I was thrilled we got Luke Lachey, frankly, because, you know, he's been injured too. And, and uh, that was more of an ask and can we receive type of situation. And, and I thought it might've been today, but it turned out, no, he'll, he'll do it tonight. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But I haven't talked to Cade. He looks all right. He looks good spirits and, and fun. And, you know, you know, here's the thing, Rob, when you start to look at this team, you know, we can analyze 2024 a little, you know, we will for six plus months, but, yeah. <laughs> but when you start to look at it and you're going, okay, let's say it takes shape the way, I presented it and you've got, okay, you got to replace two guys up front. Maybe you have to replace Dick Jackson, Cooper DeGene and um, Quinn Schulte. Okay. But you're still bringing back six Yeah, and you're, you're bringing back, you know, you know, Deshaun Lee has played now a lot. You might have to bring back Cohen Enteringer. You can step in there. He's played some snaps, you know, there's, there's some, you know, Aaron Graves stepping in for Logan Lee. You know, he's played a hell of a lot. Um, you know, I, I think they've got some pieces there. And then on offense, you're now talking about other than Rusty, <laughs> talking about the entire offensive line, your original tight end, probably your two two of your three best receivers in Seth Anderson and, and Caleb Brown. You're talking about all three of your running backs at this point. And uh and then your core original starting quarterback. So you've got the nucleus of your entire team. And then of course, no Tory Taylor, but uh, we ran into the pro kick guy, you know, who's, who's their coach. 
He's down there. He was, yeah, he's down here. And he was talking about Reese just uh, on the side desk, just like conversationally. And he's, he was saying that he might have a, a bigger leg than Tori. Oh, and no. then, and then Tori confirmed that, you know, just at a side conversation today, he's like, yeah, we're not, you know, I'm not going to let him send a, you know, a scrub here, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Well, it's funny because I wondered if it was if it was Reese Deacon or Deacon at first because he had the same haircut, <laughs> you know, like a kind of a. I've, I've noticed that haircut from some other Australian punters yeah. too that I've seen during bowl season. Maybe that's the style at the Aussie yeah. Pro Kick. Yeah, so they got one guy there giving everybody haircuts. <laughs> yeah, I think I would give that up. I had some weird ones back in the day too, but uh, but anyway, I thought it was him, and I'm like Reese. And he's like, no, I'm his coach. I'm like, okay. Um, so, so yeah. last thing here, and we we're gonna t- obviously, as you said, we've got six months to preview the season, but just from a scholarship standpoint and transfer portal, and maybe um, supplementing some p- p- positions that you know, could use it receiver being, you know, maybe you add one or two. Um, Is it still kind of a fluid situation? It seems like they're almost like, listen, we're not going to rush things here. We'll see how it plays out with the seniors who's coming back. We'll analyze that, go through spring and maybe add somebody after that. What, what, you know, I talked, to Tyler Barnes last week at length on this in a side interview and then later on just kind of on the side we went I mean well right now as it stands they have 89 players under scholarship I think 89 or 88 um and yeah it's 89 that includes Cooper but if Cooper goes in it's 88 if if you know if they get in the low 90s it's still not an unmanageable number and I, I think that they're still, you know, they, they understand that after a bowl game that sometimes and then there's a, you know, a couple of departures. It's just, it's natural, you know, yep. and I'll use, you know, I'm not predicting it, but I'll use running backs as a, as a potential uh, position for that where you have, I mean, LaShawn has kind of taken that role. You have a couple of freshmen that played quite a bit for three games and then you have two more freshmen coming in. Um, you know, what's the thought, you know, Jazz Patterson talked today, seemed happy in his role, and, but you know, what does he, and what does Caleb Johnson think? What happens after the game on Monday? You know, they say, okay, we're just going to stick with it till then, or maybe they're all invested and I'm not giving them enough credit, but you know, they've also said they've had some decisions to make about a couple medicals. Um, and then, you know, after spring, you, you might run into, again, some of those, guys that are going into their junior year that just haven't cracked the depth chart and you have to have those tough heart to hearts because, you know, the other part is none of those true freshmen are going to be on campus except for Gavin Hoffman um, and the punter. So they, they're not going to have to worry about having 90 scholarship guys in April. Yep. So, you know, but having Nick D young and having Luke Lachey and Jay Higgins and Kate McNamara back, and then the potential for having four or five more, um, you know, they'll, they'll work it out. It, it'll, it, it might come down to one or two guys leaving that maybe hurts them and you, but you know, they have, that's, that's what happens in this world these days in college football. And I don't think Iowa should be looked upon as some sort of ogre system because 
somebody left that they have really wanted to stay. Yeah, and it's unique too because of the COVID year. It's not something – I mean, roster management's going to change. It is changing, will continue to change with the transfer portal and NIL moving forward way different than it's been. But then you add on to that the COVID years, and it just kind of causes a logjam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at – Luke Lachey could still be a COVID-year guy. Yeah. You know, and uh, and if I recall, he could still be – a redshirt year guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he could still have two more years if he wanted it. You know, it's just kind of funny when you think about it. Um, but so, yeah, this is the, but this is the last big year for that. I yeah. think, you know, that, but you know, there's still a few stragglers that'll have a chance if they want another year because of COVID, but, but by and large, you know, that, that's what makes it difficult, but, but, you know, Tyler, you know, I think they're, they're taking it step by step, which is, we're recruiting our own guys first. And then once that part's over with, I mean, you know, let's say they, let's say Nick Jackson and, and uh, Schulte decide to leave and you, but you got three more and you're at, and Cooper leaves too. So then that would put you at, you know, like 91 scholarships or something. Then, okay. You know, then you got six, you got six players that need to, they need to do something with that's probably going to happen anyway. You still need probably one. I would say two receivers, but you know Iowa will go with one. Um, maybe they'll convince uh, um, a lower level receiver who doesn't got any hasn't got any feedback to come and be a walk on. They've done that before. Charlie Jones. Yeah. You know if you're if you're a Mac guy and you're leaving and you're just you're not getting the offers you want, then or you know even a, a Valley kind of player, you know that that's that's something that could be helpful. It's like hey, we could put you on scholarship second semester if you know, if you, if you earn it, but so uh, the, the numbers are, are a little odd, but I think they're, they're manageable for this team. Yep. They'll work it out and they'll start probably after the bowl game and in January, a little bit leading up to that second signing day and transfer portal being open. All right, Scott, let's finish up with our predictions for this game. Um, I'll, I'll make mine short uh, and I'll go off of what I wrote in my preview. Um, a first-time starting true freshman quarterback. I, it, granted, he's a five-star. Not against this defense, man. I, I just it's it's the, for him to have the patience and the accuracy and the execution, all of that stuff coming together against this defense. I, I'm not I'm not predicting Iowa an offensive explosion from Iowa by any means, yeah. but Iowa knows how to win these type of games. We've seen it this year. I think it's going to be another rock fight, and I think Iowa wins it 13-9 to nine, uh, and, and benefits. I think they turn them over a couple times and help uh, help the offense. When I say they, I mean the Hawkeyes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hilarious score because in my breakdown with Joe Rexrow that comes out tomorrow, we were uh, he, the first thing he brought up was uh, back when he was covering Michigan State and how Iowa fans came after him for one of his columns uh, saying this was the worst team in college basketball. So he had to paint himself in <laughs> black and gold uh, to, because he lost the bet to Iowa fans. And, uh, I and it, it, he said it was because of uh, he thought this was the worst team he saw, but it was the year that the Licklighters team won 43 to 26 against Michigan State. And so we were doing the comparisons with Licklider. I said, this is kind of Licklider's offense here. And uh, I said, 43 to 36 is like a 13 to nine game, yeah. you know? <laughs> and uh, and we saw it last night in the Cotton Bowl. 
No, yeah, I know. Everybody's going, how do you, I got tweeted by a couple people, how can you stand watching this? And I'm like, eh. it's, a, it's like an acquired taste. It's like, <laughs> it's like everybody else has got craft beer and we've got, you know, <laughs> you know, old Milwaukee's best, you know, <laughs> but I have Iowa winning as well. And I have it a little bit higher scoring, you know, I still have the under, uh, but I have Iowa winning 20 to 16. The under is 36 and a half. And uh, I, the reason why is I think Iowa can get a turnover, maybe a couple of turnovers and maybe turn one into points, whether directly or indirectly. I think they can probably get some field goals. You know, th- this is an offense that we've seen struggle mightily, but we've also seen it move a few times too. Yep. So and I, I don't see it being a disaster. Now, you know, what I think can happen is Tennessee probably gets, you know, the opening kickoff or their first drive, they run right down the field and everybody's like, oh, this is too easy. And then you realize, mm, yeah, it's like going through a lineup with a pitcher. And first time, you know, it's like, wow, 101, that's fast. And then you, then you realize it's always 101 down the middle of the plate. You can figure it out from there. And, and uh, yeah, we've seen Josh Allen. We've seen Ben Roethlisberger. We've seen uh, Keaton Slovis. We've seen some really great quarterbacks that come in and once they try to attack this defense, it does not work. And this defense is better than most of those. It's other than maybe the 4 one. You know, it's it's right up there. And and so I really think that they might bend a lot in the first drive, but after that, they're not going to bend very much. Yeah, I I was sold on this defense already, Scott. But then when I saw what it did against Michigan in the Big mm-hmm. Ten championship games, the adjustments made and Michigan struggled big time that game and it was Iowa's offense that cost them that game. But yeah. um I I was super impressed with how Iowa played defense in that game. It was a thing to watch, you know, I mean they just they had attacked, um they defended, you know, the, the passes that they were giving up from it was more Deshaun Lee giving up too much ground. And then he closed that down. Yep. Oh, it was it was perfect. And I, I think one other thing that I'd be remiss in not mentioning was is the motivation for an eleventh win. Good point. And, and this is one that they have talked about a lot. And you know, Dan Gable used to say it all the time. You know, like, hey, if, if you can't get it, if you can't win it, get the next best thing. You know, which is third place or whatever. And it's the same thing here. You, if you can't win the Big Ten championship, if you can't win the national title go out and get the best thing you can. And, and for a team like this, as um, weak as it is in one area to go out and win 11 games, which would tie for second in all time for Iowa, they've only done it three other times. I mean, that's a hell of a statement. And I know people, well, they, you know, they played a weak division. You still got to win those games. You know, those that's competitive team. Those are competitive teams. Northwestern beat Utah, you know, Minnesota won a bowl game. Um, you know, they, they care, they fight, they want to win. So Iowa was able to do it one-handed. And so I, I think this is a a situation where their motivation is pretty strong. And for somebody like Jay to come back, you know, he is their leader. And, you know, for Joe Evans to still kind of be that, fo- that face and that voice for that defense, uh, I think they're going to play really hard. You know, maybe they lose, but – I think they're going to be motivated um, as much as they were going against Michigan. Last one, we'll let you get back to the your uh, drinks with umbrellas in them and all that stuff. 
Um, beers. <laughs> who do you like Monday? Oh, not, boy. Not, th- not this game. You like Bama or Michigan? And who do you like on the other side, Texas or Washington? I think they both can be outstanding games. And I think they're coin flips, frankly. Uh, um, I, I picked Michigan and Washington, but it would not surprise me in the least if it's Alabama and Texas. Um, I think the, I think the Washington Texas one could be one of the, those games for the ages. I think it's going to be an offensive shootout and it's going to be back and forth where you're like, holy cow, you know, kind of like an NCAA tournament game against two teams where it's just like score, 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 score. Um, you know, Penix is fantastic. Quinn Ewers is good. Um, I'm not so sure that their defenses are great as compared to their offenses. So I, I think I picked that score like 48, 44 or something like that. Washington. The other one, I, I picked Michigan, but I'm leery. I don't know that this is a great Alabama team, but you know, I wonder how Iowa exposed them, frankly, on offense. I mean, cause they did nothing. You know, those points that they got for the most part, you know, it was after the 80, 70 yard punt return. It was after the strip sack. Those were the two touchdowns. And then they got four field goals. And one of them was after another strip sack. I mean, it's, it's just that that, that's got, they, you know, maybe Nick Saban's looking at that going, yeah, we got them here. Or it's, wow, Iowa was really good. (laughs) And I think both. Yeah. So what about you? I uh, I'm going the opposite of you, actually. Okay. I, I, I like Bama and Texas, um, but I'm, as as you said, toss up games, man. It's, they're gonna. I think they're they both could be incredible. And I just you think about you know the Rose Bowl going first and the sun setting on the San yeah. Gabriel with Alabama and Michigan for a chance to go to the championship game. I think college football's in a great spot, and I think yeah. it's going to be even better next year when the when the playoffs expand. I agree. I love the idea of the playoffs going forward. And here's the thing. One of the things I think will change is that next year is the first year where your first round's on campus. And that's going to be something we've never seen before. And it's going to be electric. I mean, you know, just looking at this year, you know, you got to, what, uh, an Ohio State would have been, what, seven seed? You know, but, you know, they're, you're going to have four games on campuses and they're, it's going to be amazing. If you, what's going to happen is the, the, the four teams getting buys are going to get incredibly jealous because <laughs> they're going to say, that's, that's bullshit. We don't get to <laughs> have games on our campuses. And then next thing you know, um, you know, and after two years, which is when all these things reset, I can see them saying, you know, semifinals and finals because the other part rob and think about this from an iowa perspective what if this is a once in a lifetime iowa team next year with Cade comes out and plays lights out and they run the ball well and they they throw it and play great defense and they get to be you know a five seed let's say so they get to play their first game at kinnick you know awesome you know iowa versus it doesn't even matter who but biggest game in kinnick we've ever covered next week Okay, they're playing in the Rose Bowl against Washington, who's a four seed. Then they win that game. Then it's, you know, in, in New Orleans against Alabama. And then if they happen to win that, then they're in the Sugar Bowl, or I mean the, the Orange Bowl. How many Iowa fans can afford trips to, you know, LA, that three destination locations, LA, New Orleans, take Arlington or Miami or, or any of these places, Fiesta Bowl. 
that's you're asking a lot out of these people to spend that kind of money. Um, your supporters, your fans, they want to be there for all these big, wonderful games. So I, I think that, you know, it may, maybe it happens after two years. Maybe you have to wait for another select number of years, but I would not at all be surprised if the quarterfinals end up on campus too, at some point in the future. Looking really forward to Monday's game, not only Iowa, but the other games on the docket and certainly feel really good about this sport moving forward into next year and beyond. Uh, we'll find out, I guess, as Kirk said, uh, in a couple weeks who the new offensive coordinator will be. Um, so even after the game's over Monday, we've got plenty to talk about, and we'll be back next week to do that. Um, we miss anything, Scott? I think we got to everything, right? Yeah, no, no news on the OC front. He said, you know, hopefully by the third week of January. I, I don't know if that means that he's got an NFL candidate in mind and he's waiting for, you know, Black Monday there for everybody to get fired and <laughs> make a call or two. But, uh, you know, he's like thinking – you know, he's, he seems to have it set out. And I know people are frustrated because they want to know. But, you know, if he gets the best candidate, then there's no need to complain about it. That's the object. That's the objective yeah. here. So all in good time. All in good time, my friends. Well, thanks, everybody, mm-hmm. for listening. Um, I probably should read our ad, shouldn't I? Um, yeah. Let me do that before we get out of here. I'm all, see, it's Saturday and I'm like at the weekend and I'm thinking about drinking a beer and I'm not locked in. Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services at upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is S. UI.org Systems Unlimited doing great work in the community for over half a century. And we certainly appreciate their support of this podcast. I will get the other ads in somewhere in the middle of this audio, try to wedge it in there. So that's, that'll be a lesson to me. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsors and Scott and I'll be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.